Welcome to another episode of The Root of All Business. This is your host, Jazz Bear, and today's guest is Tina Halls. She's got a PhD in positive psychology. She's the author of Sharpen Your Positive Edge, Shifting Your Thoughts for More Positivity and Success. She worked in the biotechnology field for 20 years plus before discovering positive psychology in 2011. And since then, she's been uh, helping people and companies to teach what positivity, positivity is a choice and how much easier it it is to be positive and bring the best out of your your work and your life. So with that, let's welcome Tina. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jasper. It's an awesome, awesome opportunity to be here with you. Awesome. So let's begin with, uh, you know, since we are... Towards the end, can we say towards the end of Corona, COVID-19 or, or no? It sounds like you're an optimist. Uh, I think that's always good, but I'm not going to make any bets yet. Sure. So what's, what's, your, uh, what's your take on, on in how people have behaved? You know, we have changed. There's a new normal now. So, you know, there's some people not happy. Some people are introverts are happy, really. They can stay at home all the time. So it can't be, it can't be that. So we're all different, you know, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about understanding and appreciating our differences at work and I thought it would be a good point to start now with this. What's your take on being with, with people? Uh, what, what's your, been your observation? Right. So, well, just before I get into that, I should, uh, I should be truthful and say my PhD is actually not in positive psychology. It's in bioorganic chemistry, but I'm certified in positive psychology. Got it. But boy, that would be awesome if I actually had a PhD in it too. But my, my observation of people is, um, you know, it's interesting right now, there's so many different scenarios that people are in, right? I mean, there's some people who are, like you say, loving it. They're working from home. They have more time maybe with their family or they're the introverts who just kind of like being by themselves. And then there are those introverts who are still going to work. They have jobs where they have to show up. Maybe they have all these extra precautions. They, maybe they have to wear masks at work. And then there are those extroverts who are dying to get out and actually see people and touch people. And, and they're just, you know, I have a friend who said she had never been through a drive through at the bank or at the coffee shop until now. And she, um, she always goes in because she likes to see people. So there's such a range of situations and a range of personalities of people who are trying to just survive this and figure out how to get through it. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's been a it's been a mixed response from for my own personal observation. At the beginning, I was like, you know what, great. Now I can be more productive. I can stay in one place. I don't. I, well, I can't go out, so I have to be more productive and get more done. And eventually, as time's gone on, I myself have been like, you know, what I would give to just get out and do something. Especially, I don't know how is it around around your area, but in in London, um, with the social distancing. They should be. They should have more frequent trains to 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 the city, but they have reduced that, so it means you're more crammed in. So yeah, it makes you not want to do that anyway. So yeah, that would be very interesting to um, kind of sort of begin with. You know, also what you do when you talk about you know that you help with a positive culture. So so what do you do and who do you work with? Well, I work with actually a lot of different organizations. I find that the people who are interested in having me come in and speak to their leaders or speak to their employees are really more of like the forward-thinking organizations who understand that, you know what, work is hard, stress makes people less productive. And so when we can just help people shift their mindset, shift their perspective, remind them 
that they have more power than they realize over their attitudes and over their thoughts. And then just some ways to really make that easier, just simple little things we can do to help us not get stuck in all the problems and all of the uh, things that we don't like and that aren't fair. Because that's what's natural. That's normal for us to just dwell on that stuff. Is it, is it a process that you go through with them to do that? Or is it just, uh, does they just involve pretty much interviews? How, how does that work? So I do a lot of speaking and, and workshops and training on this. And I have a, a five-step formula I call the path for f- positivity. And it's really my way of trying to take all of this research that's out there and compile it in a way that makes it easy to use, easy to remember. I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we need a constant intravenous drip of positivity because the negativity not only in our own survival instinct, but just, you know, being everywhere in the media and social media and people we talk to, especially nowadays, it's so easy to just forget that we have a choice. Sure. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, most people do jobs that they don't enjoy, right? They, they have, they've did their degree in something else. And then some are lucky like yourself and like perhaps like me as well, where, you know, you, you did, you do, you're doing something and eventually you find something else that you really love and you make that shift. Most people don't get to do that. And most people don't get the, you know, work in an organization, which is open-minded to invite people in, you know, and, and, and help their employees really get trained and, you know, be more positive or either stay and grow or, or if not, if it's not for you, move on. Most people don't think like that. So how do you kind of you know, approach that and help approach, you know, organizations with that, especially the corporations that do not want to change. There's a resistance. There's a lot of resistance towards that. It's, it's funny that you say that because so many people will say to me, oh, I know just the organization you should talk to. They so desperately need your help. And then I tell them it's not the people who need my help, right? It's the people who are open to getting help. And, and trying to convince people is really hard. So I really find that it's easier to, you know, appeal to those organizations, those leaders, those managers that already get this, and they're just looking for more ways to help their people. I think the best way for us to try to, you know, change people's minds is just by example and by planting seeds, right? Even you can imagine in an organization, I go in and talk and there's going to be people in the audience who are kind of like, you know, huh, this is not for me. This is a bunch of fluff or I don't believe in it. And yet, as you start planting those seeds of ideas and showing some of the research, you never know when that person might be like, huh, you know, I could use a little more optimism in my day. I could use a little bit more enthusiasm and uh, curiosity. So I think with the organization piece, those, those ones that really need it but are resistant are the ones that are going to you know, end up with the cultures where people want to leave. They're going to um, have the... the not the best customer service, let's put it that way. And good people are going to leave and find those places that are more forward thinking and and just open to creating better positive workplaces. Normally, I would say this would come down to leadership, but then how do you, you know, when times are changing, you know, you the organizations like Google, and I always talk about this, organization like Google and Apple and all these big ones where they allow allow these things, allow that type of culture. It's, it's been built upon, that's the foundation of it. And whereas these other corporations, which are very rigid and, you know, set in their ways with them, how do you, where do you begin? You know, you, I would, I would imagine you would, you would 
it needs a, um, what's the right word for it? It needs a makeover from top to bottom. Where do you begin? You can't just jump in the middle, you know, and train one team and share that information and hope for them to change. Because they'll say, you know what, I'll change, but the people above me won't. So therefore, they would, want, they would want me to do exactly the same things. And sooner or later, I'll be back to doing things I'm do, I was doing, thing, doing things before. Okay, so that, that's a great question. That actually brings up two thoughts on my part. One is that, interestingly, there's this micro-environment, right? Whether it's our small little team, even our small little workspace, that micro-environment is something that we have the most control over. And so even if we can only impact the, you know, the little mini culture that we live in at work, it's so much better than, uh, than trying to change the bigger culture. I mean, that's ultimately ideal, right? That would be the perfect scenario. But what we at least do have more control over is that microenvironment we work in. Now, if we are leaders, if we are managers and we have more influence, then I love to talk to people about how we can impact the work culture. And I have five different pillars and an article that I would like to share a link to with your listeners at the end of the show to really help them use these different, different areas that they can address that's you know, personalized to their culture, their industry, their people. You know, there's not like one blanket answer that fits for everybody. There's like some concepts that people need to dig into and understand and then customize it for their own company, their own organization. But there's, there's definitely two pieces. There's the, the work situation, I call it, right? The feeling, the attitude, the policies. And then there's the individual perspective that we each bring and they influence each other. But one of the best places to start is really with our individual perspective that we can bring to our work, how we think about our work, what we you know, dwell on in our day. Again, it really comes down to the power of our thoughts and, and getting better at making our thoughts work for us instead of, instead of letting them sort of run our life and control our attitude. It's really amazing. That was one of my big aha moments with positive psychology is just recognizing how powerful our thoughts are in our life. So some, some people, you know, would begin their day with, God, another day. And um, so you're already in that momentum of, you know, I would say negative momentum, where, mm. where, they, where it begins with, oh, just another, it's another day. I hope it's just an easy day so I can run home and do watch Netflix or whatever I do. I believe, you know, with, with, with for example, for tra- with training and coaching, what I've seen is that, the question I want to ask is that, what role does resilience play? in connection with positivity. So I can be positive, right? I'm all happy. I'm, my perspective is, you know, I'm going to have a great day. I'm going to do the best work and I'm going to go home and, you know, I'm going to have, a, you know, my rest, I'm going to enjoy my rest of the evening. That's great. But then where, do, where does, you know, when you get punched again and again and again at work, you know, with negativity and uh, with the same kind of, same environment and same type of people where you are happy, but they're not happy, that eventually kind of rubs off on you. How does that kind of play, play along? Do, you, does it, does, do they now need a resilience training as well? Or do they, how, how, how can they put that in? You know, I think back to one of the jobs that I had after graduate school, and I was so excited about it. It was this leading edge biotech company with, with new, just, you know, groundbreaking technology that they were using. And I was so excited to be part of it. But it was a horrible place for me. It was, you know, very clicky. I didn't feel like I could contribute or use my strengths. I felt like I wasn't appreciated. 
And I think that when people find themselves in those kind of situations, and I kept saying, oh, it's going to get better, right? As, as we grow, as things improve, it'll just be a better place to work. And I ultimately realized it was not a good fit for me. I needed to leave. And it took me probably six months after leaving that job to recover my enthusiasm, my energy. So definitely there are situations where if it's not a good fit for what your goals are, what your strengths are, you know, get out. And, and, and some people might say, well, like you were saying earlier, so many people maybe aren't happy in their job. So is it me or is it the job? And I think a lot of times what's helpful there is to talk to a friend, family member, somebody who's sort of unbiased and have them help you walk through that process. I remember for me, it was reading the seven habits of highly effective people and that yeah. whole circle of control. And in that moment, I had this aha, like, oh my gosh, I can keep hoping and I can keep trying, but I've been here for a year and a half and that was too long and it was not good. So good point. In terms of, you know, positivity, you know, if you, if you were to simplify it and said, was it, what is it? Is it, do I come in smiling all day long or what is it that I'm, I'm, I'm doing in terms of my thoughts, my behaviors, my, the way I take action? Could it be I have to smile all, the, all day long? Could I still be positive and be serious and then do my work? If you were to simplify it, what would you say that is? Because a lot of people think in my mind as well, it used to be like this, where if I think you stay positive, meaning smiling all day long, and, and then it becomes a tedious task. <laughs> and exhausting, right? Not and very exhausting. sustainable. Yeah, I try to tell people, you know, it's not about pretending to be, you know, happy or positive. It's really about how can you learn to spend more time in positive emotions to actually feel better and just let it show. And it's not about not having negative emotions. I mean, negative emotions serve a very important purpose. You know, they keep us safe. It's, it's again, that importance of that survival instinct to protect ourselves, to take action when things are challenging, like taking action to leave a bad job, right? That's, that's important. But the thing that I've learned from positive psychology is that we tend to get stuck. We tend to dwell on and worry about negative things that are not helpful, right? That, okay, it's out of our control, or we just let ourselves get sucked into this downward spiral. It's so easy and natural to just sit there and replay past stresses and dramas or worry about, you know, assuming the worst possible outcome for future worries. And that again, it's just our survival instinct kicking in. But when we let it run our life and just, you know, dominate our thoughts, we just waste so much time and energy in unnecessary, unhelpful, negative feelings. So what I've learned is that, you know, we need to acknowledge those emotions, we need to use them and get the information, but then we need to also not live there and learn how to shift our thinking, learn how to just get better at recognizing when that happens and taking back our power to override that survival instinct and say, hey, I don't have to let this rule my thoughts for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. I can choose to focus on something I'm grateful for or to realize that maybe there's something here I need to learn from the situation, or maybe it will help me understand other people better. Sure. Okay. Here's the thing, though, you know, a lot of organizations um, have this challenge of, or, or I would say the way they approach this is that when, when they're working on a new project, they're pretty much, because I come from a technology background, so I'm going to give you that example, and I'm sure it's pretty much similar in biotech as well. 
So normally what happens is you have a big transformation program. You'll hire typically a project program manager to run that, and then you have a project manager underneath that, and then he'll assemble, he or she will assemble their team, and the team will consist of people who, can you do the job, yes or no, and they'll just handpick them and, and that'll be it. And when I say handpick them, pretty much based on their skill set and nothing else. And I've seen projects fail miserably because some people don't want to work on it, some people haven't been given a brief, or some people have not been given a background, or what they can or cannot do is pretty much, yep, they take that box and, and they go. And I've seen so many projects, you know, fail and get delayed and so much money being wasted. And that's a very common thing. How do you approach something like, like that uh, with positive psychology? What can you do to make sure that you, you get that team right in the first place? You have that good chemistry between you to make sure that you're, you're delivering success. How do you approach that? So earlier you were talking about Google and, you know, that really reminds me of the Google, the Aristotle project with Google and how they, you know, they put so much time, so much energy and resources into studying exactly that. How do you create the ideal team that's effective, productive, collaborative, innovative? And, you know, if you're familiar with this project, it's, it's interesting that they were so surprised that, you know, there were obviously a few things that were important, but the number one most important by far factor was what they called psychological safety which is really how do you pick a team or build a team in such a way that there's a lot of trust, a lot of collaboration and connection. And in a way, to me, that comes back to you know, what we had talked about at the very beginning of this is how do we understand and appreciate our differences? How do we connect so we have more trust? So when we do come together to work, we feel comfortable sharing our, our, our ideas, asking questions, being vulnerable, admitting things that we don't know and, and not letting our survival instinct, again, our egos, right, drive what we say and what we do and what we maybe don't share. So to me, that is really a key part. It's if you pick a team based on skills alone and you don't know if those people are going to trust each other or if you don't give them an opportunity to build, right, there's what are there, there's like four parts of coming together as a team. There's, there's norming and storming and forming. I'm not as familiar with those different pieces, but it makes a lot of sense. If we can't understand and appreciate our differences and really connect at a deeper level so that we see each other as really true humans that, you know, are imperfect, but still have complementary skills and strengths that will help us achieve our ultimate goal. Sure. What's been, uh, what's been a team you might have been part of where you thought, you know what, this clicked from minute one and, and, the, and everything was just, just right? I wouldn't say perfect. I wouldn't use that word. But you say, you know, it was just right. We got the right people on board. We had, even though we had our differences, it just worked. And what was it about that teams that really clicked? Yeah, I, I feel fortunate to have a few of those experiences. And, and when I think back on this, and I, I sometimes share these stories and examples in some of my talks when I talk about understanding and appreciating our differences. When I've been on a team that has really clicked, we've had a common goal where we all were excited about the goal. We all felt it was attainable. We all felt like we had something to contribute to that goal. We felt like we had support from above that we were given the amount of freedom and autonomy to do it in a way that we thought was best using our expertise. So like when I talk about how to create a positive workplace, 
the, the five areas there are autonomy, right? Feelings of control. So this is very important in teams too. Feelings of belonging, feeling like you can connect. It doesn't mean you even have to be friends or even necessarily have anything in common with these other people, but you have to have respect and you have to be curious enough to understand what is important to the other person. I talk about you know, doing strengths assessments or personality assessments to really understand how we're different and what's important for priorities and preferences for each of us. So we know that and we're not just, you know, butting heads when our preferences are different. And we really, we want those differences, right? We don't want a team where everybody is the same and has the same perspective mm-hmm. and ideas. We need that diversity and perspective and skills but at the same time, that can bring with it challenges if we are not addressing those, if we are not expecting the differences, and we don't find ways to help people really, again, understand and appreciate those differences. What do you do when, when if someone just doesn't fit, no matter what you do, how you try it, it they just don't seem to fit together in that culture? How do you, you, know, you perhaps might have done some training or you know, you've had those trying to build that connection, but this does seem to, doesn't, doesn't seem to work. What do you do in that situation? You know, it's interesting. Most of the time, I would say that this person also recognizes that they're not fitting, right? They're probably frustrated or not happy. So it's really having an open conversation with them and just saying, it feels like this isn't maybe a good fit. You know, here's what I'm observing. You know, tell me your thoughts on this. And maybe they have some ideas. Maybe there's something in particular that's getting in the way that you can't see, but they can see, and maybe together you can address it. But maybe the other person says, yeah, you know, everybody else would have to change in order to match my priorities and preferences. And then you can see this other person is not willing to adapt. They really maybe aren't a good fit. And if you don't remove them from the team or the department, or maybe even the company, it's not just that their bad fit or maybe their negativity is affecting their work. You know, as we all know, like you said before, it spreads and it impacts a lot of people. So, so if you think, oh, I need to keep this person for whatever reason, because of some skill set they bring or somebody they know, right, their connection, you're bringing everybody down. So again, it's not about, you still have to set boundaries. You still have to take action when things don't work. Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've seen and I've, I've been in that situation myself where you're around the table, you're working on a project and, uh, you know, you're brainstorming and you don't get any ideas or you felt like I haven't contributed and you, you start to feel like maybe it could be a lack of concentration at the time or something happening in your life privately. Or you, it could be a number of different reasons that you're not able to, but from your perspective, you start to think, you know what, I'm not contributing as much and maybe I'm the weak link in the, in the chain. How do you, I know there's no, you know, really good teams and really good leaders say, you know, there's no such thing as a bad idea. We just put, lay them on the table and then we work through them and pick the one that's, we think is the most feasible one. Now, if someone who's kind of has lacks that imagination or, you know, is a hard worker, but when it comes to that, their contribution, they feel they're not contributing and they start to disconnect. What do you do there? How do you kind of bring them on board? Well, you know, I think that's interesting, right? Because to me, you know, not everybody is good at coming up with ideas, right? Not everybody wants to contribute to the brainstorming. Maybe their strengths and their personality is more like, I'm ready for the details. When you guys finally come up with an yeah. idea, I'll be the one who figures out what we need to think about from a detail perspective. Or maybe they're the one 
who can find the weak spots and say, well, here's why I think it won't work. You know, let's make sure we think through all these things. So I think it's important to like, like the saying goes to make sure you have the right people in the right seats, not just the right people on the bus, but make sure that they're in the right role. If you have someone and you've, you know, here again, just knowing people and connecting with them at a deeper level, if you know their strengths and their personality and their past skill set and what their current goals are, what their current dreams are, then you have a much better sense of, is this the right role for that person? And then checking in with them. I think, you know, we all change. I, I look back on my own career in life and things that were my goals or my dreams or my hopes have shifted over time and checking in with people to just say, you know, hey, is this working? Because sometimes you think you want something and then you get into it and you realize, oh, you know, this, this isn't working out for me after all. You know, hiring people is the easiest thing and firing them is one of the hardest things for, for, for <laughs> new leaders, especially. Yes. Even experienced leaders are the same as well, you know, if they find it very difficult to fire. So if you're jumping in right in the middle and trying to, I wouldn't say the word fix, but for the lack of a better word, how you, you can train people and you can, um, you can coach people. And, and even then, if they don't change, you can obviously, you know, the last resort would be to, you know, let them go. How do you make sure you have some sort of process or something in place to get the process of hiring right? So you're hiring the right people with the right mindset from the beginning. What do you do there? I've, I've seen, I've, I've interviewed someone else a couple of weeks ago. And they were talking about, they, they won't use personality uh, psychometric tests. And I thought, because I'm, I'm recently, I'm currently reading uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. I'm not if you're familiar with him. And he talks about higher, fire, higher train tests, you know, fire or promote. And that's kind of his philosophy. And he's very big on, you know, he built his company from scratch. So he said he's very, very fond of using psychometric tests and personality tests and use them. Obviously, it does not replace that one-to-one conversation and, you know, live in-person communication. What's your, what's your take on psychometric tests during the interview process? And how do you make sure you get it right? Well, I'm certainly not a, per, you know, this is not my area of expertise, sure. but of course, I'm, I'm welcome to offer an opinion on it. I think hiring is definitely a fine art. You know, it's, it is something that, yeah, it, it's not easy. And of course, it probably depends on what you're hiring for, the type of work and stuff. But as far as psychometric tests, I think they can really be a part of a bigger puzzle. You know, they can be a piece of information that can be helpful. I try to stress to people that you can't just use it in isolation. It's not the end all answer. You know, when you think of how we come to work, our perspective, our ability to get our work done and to be a good team player, you know, there's so many factors that come into it. Personality, you know, strengths, that's one piece of it. But that's not a make or break thing. I mean, I think of salespeople, they'll say, oh, well, if you are looking for salespeople, you want people who are outgoing and very social and, and direct and you know, have these kinds of traits. Yet, even in my biotech days, I remember working with the sales team a lot. And there were certainly quite a few that were you know, in that personality category. But there were also some very successful ones who were in the opposite category. And it's I think it's important to just remember, take that as one piece of information, but don't have that be the only thing that you make your decision on. Sure. Perhaps I, I, I you know, in, in that example, if it's a salesperson who's kind of outgoing and, you know, connecting with people, they may not be able to connect with someone who's an introvert as well. 
So you need like, like-minded, someone who's introvert can understand to see what, how other introverts think and, and feel and behave. That, that's, that's very interesting. We're now coming towards the end of the show. So what, what's next? What's next for you? What's next for uh, positive psychology or psychology in, in, in general as well? What's, what's, what's happening in the world of psychology? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think we're learning a lot about, well, like right now, you know, going through this pandemic, the post-traumatic stress that is going to be, you know, that is currently affecting people because of what's happening, you know, especially like you were saying, maybe the extroverts who are really stressed out about the situation of being at home. And I think that we're really learning with positive psychology, whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's some isolated trauma, you know, more tools that we can use to help those people, but also just everyone in general, how we can move from that situation of sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm getting by, I'm doing pretty good, but how can we really shift to that next level to elevate our quality of life, our well-being? And when we can do that, we tap into more potential at every level, our, our potential to get along better, uh, which we could use a lot of these days, our potential to understand each other better, but also our potential to be our best and do our best. Just imagine if if we could up our potential by 10% and share that, be in a situation where we made that available to the world, to our organization, to our families, to be you know, our best self just a little bit more often. I mean, what could it do for our, our organizations and our communities and ultimately the world? So what I love to watch in, in positive psychology is how they're seeing there's so many different situations and scenarios where this has been shown to help and make a difference. There's not just, you know, one type of area or one type of situation where this can really benefit people. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember we speaking to someone who was thinking of uh, starting up. So there was a conversation going on. So this one person said they're looking forward to starting their own business and leaving their 95. The other person said, I wouldn't do that because I get to work from home. So why, why, would, I, why would I leave that comfort? But having said that, I said, it brings challenges because if you can work from home, you don't need to go in the office. Eventually, your company will think, you know what, this person is replaceable because I can hire someone with a lot less cost in somewhere else. So it has its positives and negatives. But generally, a lot of people are wishing and hoping with technology coming in, um, you know, that eventually we can start working from home. But I'm sure it'll have its kind of, like you said, it'll have its positives and negatives for people. Do you think generally people will be healthier and happier now that they're a lot closer to their families, especially single parents, you know, working from, from home, you know, they can spend more time with their kids, uh, you know, the, 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 at least let's be, let's, you know, if, if, you, if you're going to work, you're at least spending, you know, an average person will spend an hour going to work and coming back. So yeah, that's two hours a day, extra two hours a day you get. You think that's, that, that's a good thing you moving forward or? You know, it's interesting. I think, like you said earlier, there's good and bad in everything. And because there's so many different situations out there, and even for one situation, there's so many different personalities out there, yeah. there will be, again, there will be some really good stuff. I've heard some people say, you know, it's really slowed my life down. It's really, I'm not running everywhere all the time. And other people are like, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of my house. I've got to get away from my family. They're driving me crazy. I'm just, you know, I just can't spend 24-7, you know, around them. And I think it's, it's like everything, right? It's easy for us to focus on the bad things yeah. that come out of it, but there will definitely, you know, there's good things happening now. There will be good things 
you know, as we move through this and on the other side, but there will also be bad things. And I, my hope is that we can learn from both, right? We can learn from both and ultimately just figure out how to make work better, how to make our lives better, because we're being forced to adapt, you know, in ways that we didn't even think were possible. And now we're realizing, hmm, we actually can figure this out. Awesome. Well, any final thoughts before we, before we close the show? Well, I just would love to have, um, invite your readers to check out my website. I have a whole page of resources with other books that I love, with other websites on positive psychology. And there's an article that I've actually created as an easy way for your uh, listeners to get there. It's about kickstart your positive performance culture. And it has different ideas for leaders and managers to really create a situation that makes it easier for people to bring their best self and to be positive. And people can find that at thepositiveedge.net slash resources slash Jasper. So maybe you can put that in the show notes for people so it's easy for them to find. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gina, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This was awesome. I I really appreciate all that you do. And uh, the world needs our message. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. And if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazzbearaurora.com, that's www.jazzbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also, um, go and take the Escape the 95 survey, uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.